want to go through a topic tonight that I think is a pretty important one that I had kind of taken for granted. There's a lot of us that are working heavily on the actual legislative type aspects themselves. And sometimes we get so focused that we forget that a lot of people may not understand what we're doing. So tonight I'm going to try and go through a little bit of, of what Title IV-D is. There, there's no way to go through all of the details in, in a you know 20 minute type of a video. So uh, this is going to be sort of a brief overview of Title IV-D. So don't think that we're going to get into every single detail. Title IV-D was originally passed as a, a merit system. It's part of the welfare program. The reason was years ago the traditional family unit, the husband went out and worked and the woman stayed home. Now, I'm not saying that was right or wrong, I'm just saying that's the way it was. Think back to Beaver Cleaver days. The woman stayed home, they were more the nurturer, and they you know, did the laundry and the cooking and everything like that while the husband went out and earned a living. So if a couple had been married, say 10, 15 years, and got a divorce, it was very hard back in those days for a woman to be expected to make the same income if she'd been out of the workforce for 10 years. You can't be out of a workforce for 10 years and expect to make the same type of a salary. So they came up with child support, which would be an offset, if you will, to try and make sure that the child wouldn't maintain a semi-similar standard of living after divorce or separation. But I don't know if anybody remembers Ronald Reagan's famous quote, the most feared words in the English language are, we're from the government, we're here to help. Because anytime the government gets involved in something, you can plan on there's going to be problems. Anytime somebody starts a government program, it always starts out with a great intent. The challenge is, almost never does a government program start that just doesn't start growing and growing and just morphing all over the place. And once it's expanded, it's almost impossible to get it back to the original intent. And as a result, there's employees that are you know, making an income and have a, a job as a result of federal programs, and they're going to do everything they can to justify that job. And with Title IV, I'll explain in a minute, but the collection amounts have to increase you know, to be able to qualify for this incentive pool that we'll describe for those employees to be able to keep the job. It's sort of like I remember Bob McEwen used to always say, when robbing, Peter, when robbing Peter to pay Paul, you can always count on the loyal support of Paul. And that's basically what's been happening uh, to non-custodial parents all across the country. There's what's known as mission creep. And this is, as I said, any type of federal program starts out with a mission creep. It started off, as I said, basically for welfare programs, for people who uh, needed federal assistance so that the government could get some of that. If they were helping, say, a, in, in the you know, olden days it was the woman that needed some type of welfare support to be able to get back on her feet again after divorce or separation. And so the government was giving out TAMP, and in order to try and get that money back, they were going after the non-custodial parent to be able to recoup some of that welfare money. Unfortunately, uh, in 1988, everything totally changed. They extended child support orders to all child support orders going through this federal case registry. And basically overnight, 19 million citizens, regardless of whether they were behind or not on child support, got thrown into this massive federal pool, if you will, where the federal government pays all the administrative costs and when they pay administrative costs, they can dictate through mandates and incentives how they want things to go. And as a result, 83% of all of the cases that go through the Title IV formula now would never be eligible for welfare. Never. That's just unbelievable to think. A program that was designed for welfare 
to basically, you know, it's the last thing. If, if people have nothing else, no hope, the government was going to reach down and help give those people a leg up. Only 17% of those cases will they ever even remotely qualify for any kind of welfare program. 83% will never qualify for welfare. The reason is because of these incentive programs. Some of you may remember this past year in the state of Illinois, there was a video clip going around. Uh, I was fortunate. I was actually at that actual hearing in Illinois. And I'll never forget, Chad Loudermilk sitting there and, and Representative LaShawn Ford. And, and there's about 20 of us sitting in the galley there. And uh, we just couldn't believe it. When the one guy representing the Illinois Bar Association literally made the statement that if a 50-50 bill passed, the state would lose millions, possibly hundreds of millions of dollars in federal money. And, uh, and it was just, it was like a mic drop moment. Because we all known that all along. It was just kind of neat to hear the opposition actually bring that up at a hearing for a bill. But there's two major parts to the Title IV program. One part basically is a reimbursement of 66 cents on the dollar for every dollar the state spends in collection efforts. Now it's critical here to make sure that we distinguish. Unfortunately, there have been a lot of people that have been using terminology, which is, is I, they don't mean wrong, it's just you turn off every person that's a federal legislator or with HHS by using wrong terminology. People have been saying that the state gets reimbursed for the dollars they collect. They do not get reimbursed for the dollars they collect. They get reimbursed for the money they spend on collection efforts. So for instance, if they hire, let's just for argument's sake, say they hire two people at $50,000 a year and their person's sole job is child support collections, then they would get, the state would get reimbursed $66,000 of that money. Now, that in itself is just massive. Imagine if you owned a business and somebody else was going to pay 66 cents on the dollar for every employee you could hire. Can you imagine how many more employees you would hire? Uh, there's not a business person around that wouldn't hire more employees if you had that kind of free money coming in. So that part creates a problem. The huge problem is created, though, by this incentive pool. And I'm not going to go through all the details, but the incentive pool, there's five parts to it that all the states could uh, compete for. About a half a billion dollars is lumped into this pool and states compete against each other based on five factors. One of the factors is the percent of paternity establishments. That's why you'll notice they, in a lot of cases, people are determined to be the father that aren't even the father. Some of you have heard about the, the Texas case with Gabriel Corneu, who's uh, ordered to pay something like $80,000 worth of arrears for child support for a child that has already been proven is not his child based on a DNA test. So there's a percentage that's given in this pool based on percentage of paternity establishments. The next thing is the child support order establishments. And that's the one that's really affecting the majority of people because the higher they can get those orders up, the more money the state is gonna get based on that incentive pool. And then the current support orders the arrears collections, and the cost effectiveness. But to be honest, there, there's really three of those that are the main things, and that's the child order establishments, the current support, and the arrears collections. Those three alone make up about 75 to 80% of the actual formula. And so that's why we're running into so much problem. They always say, follow the money. Uh, states are gonna have a hard time passing a piece of legislation if they realize, okay, we're already getting this federal money. So if we stop getting this federal money, we're going to have to take that money out of our own personal budget for the state, 
or lay off all kinds of state employees. So state employees do everything they can to make sure that there's going to be obstacles to getting a 50-50 legislation passed. But more importantly, every one of those five factors is based on an increase over the previous year. So if you collected so much last year, you've got to increase that amount next year. So employees, in order to try and keep their job, are going to do everything they can to increase child support orders. Well, what's the easiest way to do it? If you have 50-50, most parents would basically take care of their own expenses. There wouldn't be a need for child support. I'm always amazed when people try and twist the subject and they say, well, a lot of these parents are just trying to get out of paying child support. Well, if the child is living with them, they would be supporting the child. They would be taking care of that child's food, the clothes, the everything that goes on in that house half the time is being taken care of. So it's not that. Like I said, it's amazing how people can try and spin things uh, to try and make it sound differently. The true support is being taken care of. If the child is living with each parent 50-50, each parent takes care of their own expenses, the child is being supported by both parents. However, if instead, if you can get an 80-20 split, or a, like in Texas, or standard possession order, or whatever they have, where you get every other weekend and a little bit of time on Wednesday nights, now there's a drastic offset. Now there has to be money paid, uh, which basically qualifies for this Title IV-D money. So that's why there's the big connection between 50-50. It's very hard to get 50-50 rebuttable presumption bills passed when there is so much money coming in. However, what if we could remove that federal incentive? What if the incentive wasn't there? Or what if instead, more importantly, what if we could change the incentive? What if part of the requirements for that incentive were that there had to be a 50-50 rebuttable presumption bill on the books? You talk about a nuclear thing. If there was ever a window of time of opportunity, because guys, I'll tell you what, there are people that have been working on this for 20 years that paved the way for a lot of things that we're about ready to do. And we all owe them a great debt of gratitude. We would not be able to do what we're about to do without the efforts of a lot of people that went before us. And it wasn't from their lack of effort. They were working their tails off. There just happens to be a different dynamic in D.C. right now that there's a small window created. So now is the time that we need all hands on deck and we all have to be working together. Because what we're about to do is, is very, very different from anything that's ever been done before. For the first time that I'm aware of in 20 years, we have all four main branches that we need working together all on our side. Most of you know, if you've been following, I have personally had discussions with all four of those. The White House administration, the director of HHS, high levels of leadership in the Senate, and extremely high levels of leadership in the House of Representatives. Every one of those four groups is in agreement on the principles of what we're about to do, and all of them are working with us to try and figure out a way that we can maneuver through the system to get this done by October 1st of next year. Now, some of you may think October 1st of next year, my gosh, that's 15 months away. Guys, trust me, that can go quick. When you're talking about a major federal program that's worth billions of dollars, 15 months is not a lot of time. So we need everybody 